Hello, welcome to another edition of Open All Eyes, a QPR podcast that can finally breathe a sigh of relief and look forward to the game on Monday without any fear, interpretation or anything about relegation. Um, yeah, good luck, Reading. Not. Anyway, um, I'm joined tonight by Robert Gilbert. How are you, Robert? You all right? I'm all right, Paul. How are you? I'm all right. I won't mention that your dad used to make the kids a QPR because I do that all the time. It's boring. And every time. <laughs> you know. Uh, look, <laughs> There's Simon Hall, who um, went to the game with me on Saturday and probably you know, hasn't heard enough of my holiday stories, have you, Simon? No, Paul. No, Paul. Good to see you, Dave. Hope everything's well. By the way, listeners, he doesn't mean a word of that. He tried to avoid me at the train station on Saturday by running in the opposite direction towards Crewe. To be fair, I was shouting I, I was shouting at you, you know, like the Dan scene from Alan Partridge, <laughs> where I was going, Paul, 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 and, I just, and, and you just ignored me. Yeah, no, I'm deaf. And, um, and I was less resistant to it than Partridge was in that scene. <laughs> and also, it's Richard Dobson, uh, QPR assistant manager, QPR fan, and um, helping Gareth keep us up. And um, we'll be asking you some questions, Richard. Some will be good, some will be inquisitive, and some will be about the style of play. So, so still, as you know, it's a free-for-all. No worries. A bit like our season, really. Mm. First, first thing I've got to ask you, Richard, to be fair, what, what did you think? When you, you, I know you're a QPR fan. You stood in the loft, as you said many times and stuff. When you came into the club after what, what got on with Bale and, and Critchley, what was your first thoughts, apart from shit? <laughs> um, do you know, uh, it, it, when your club comes calling and, and the club's in distress, um, it's not something you can turn down. You know, I, I had a wonderful time at Wickham Wanderers. Um, they were great for me. Um, when when Gareth got the call initially from QPR, the the um, the owner said to me, um, "I want you to take over if Gareth leaves, and um, I know QPR are going to are going to come and, and speak to you as well. But you know, I'd like you to take over." And um, you know, I said to Gareth, "This is what he said to me," and, and Gareth said, "You know, I'm not going to go unless you come with me." So I got to a point where I, I was um, I had two choices: stay at a, a club where um, the owner had said, you know, pretty much you got the safest job in football. And uh, or, or go to the club that you supported as a as a lad, and and it, when it comes to that, this is a no-brainer. You know, you want to go and help. Um, obviously, well aware of the situation at Rangers, and um, and come with my eyes uh, fully wide open. Um, when when a club's won one game in in nineteen, uh, you're you're aware there's going to be a number of issues, and um, it's it's probably not going to be a quick fix. Um, so I was I was quite open about what I was coming into. Um, I've learned a lot over the last couple of months um, and there's a lot of issues that, that we needed to, to deal with um, which hopefully we're, we're starting to deal with now but it's going to take through the summer and obviously pre-season next year to, to really work our way through um, for all the issues we've had Simon Yeah it's, um, <clears throat> so I think one of the things I was going to ask linking into that was did you watching QPR and in that time, standing in the loft, how did that affect your sort of coaching philosophy? When when watching us, did that influence how you saw yourself as a coach? Or were there other things and other experiences that you had which made you go down the route you did? Um, I, I guess there's always a little bit of an influence of the people that you've watched in the past. And um, 
you know, I first started watching when the, the likes of Wayne Faraday and Colin Clark and Mark Falco and people were like, like that were playing. But I think my, you know, my major memory of watching Rangers was um, uh, uh, Jerry Francis's team and obviously the side that finished as the top London club. I mean, they, they played some wonderful stuff that season. It was a team that, that knitted together and obviously, you know, Les Ferdinand was the star of the show, but there was um, a lot of other players that were um, equally as influential over that time. And, uh, you know, I talk about someone like uh, Clive Wilson, who as a left-back had a fantastic season, was a wonderful footballer. So, um, you know, it was a team that was shaped um, as a team, you know, whilst, as I say, Les was the, the probably the star man, um, they played very much as a team and, and everybody contributed. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's probably, when I look at teams that I, I admire in the past, um, that's probably one of the teams that I look back on um, uh, as a model of a, a good side. Um, we, we were fortunate enough to play Man City um, last season, and uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm actually a purist at heart, and uh, you know I was edging into Pep's technical area watching them <laughs> play. It, it was wonderful. Um, you know I, I try and work on a lot of the things that Man City do, particularly around the box. Um, you know we know we can't play like Man City, and nobody else can play like Man City at the moment. But um, certainly there's a lot to take from them sides, and uh, you know to see them in the flesh and to see them do it. At, at the pace that they did it in, and the, and the quality was um, was a breath of fresh air, and, and certainly something that's um, that stuck with me. Cool, Simon. <clears throat> so I think linking in linking in with what you with what you had is what, and I think you mentioned about eyes open coming in, and obviously it might be one that you might not be able to answer. What were, what was the biggest sort of eye opener when you when you came into the club? Um, I think probably from my perspective, we'd been at a place where we'd embedded a culture over a long period of time. So we'd had a lot of time to put a lot of layers into that culture. And um, you walk into a club that's slipping down the league, um, got a poor record, and it was a really fragile culture. Um, if I can use an analogy, um, you know, uh, if, we're, if it was a 10,000 metre race, after 2,000 metres, we were at the front. Um, mm. And everyone's got really excited about that. But um, if you don't have the physical capacity to continue at that pace for 10,000 metres, you're never going to be a champion. Um, if, if you, you, you know, we, we got caught with the injury situation and as we walked through the door, I think there was nine injuries and, and more um, a couple of weeks after we'd been through the door. So um, all of a sudden, you know, your heart of your side is ripped out and you're putting square pegs in round holes and young lads are getting debuts and, you know, it's not ideal for a club that's um, that is in that situation. And to go back to the analogy, if you look at the, the mental side of things, uh, the psychological skills, um, you know, when, when the uh, elite athletes rock up on your shoulder halfway through the, the race and they know how to win, they know how to navigate through the difficult parts of the race, um, you've got that angel and, and devil on your shoulder and uh, the angel's telling you keep running and the devil's going, this is getting hard, I've got to give in. And um, unfortunately, the devil seems to have won uh, in, in quite a few of the, um, the situations that we've been through. So, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't have the, the physical or mental capacity to keep that up. Yeah. Uh, and whilst people look back and go, well, we were, we were top of the league uh, back at the start of the season. I don't think it was a side that was ever made up to, to finish the season at the top of the league um, because of those, um, those issues. And, uh, you know, coming in and seeing how deep rooted those issues were. Um, it's taken a, a fair bit of, of trying to turn it around. That's an interesting point. Robert? 
what was I mean, there've been plenty of low moments, but was there ever a time where you sort of thought, I'm not sure we're going to get out of this? I mean, was there a time where you sort of questioned, well, everything, your methods, your the culture you were trying to embed? Um, I mean, what was sort of, I know Gareth said in a recent interview that it, Coventry, that 3-0 was a real low point, but I don't know if you, uh, there was a different one for you. Yeah, I think the the Blackpool game, because you look at the, the Watford game and you think, right, there's a, a corner been turned here. Uh, and to do as well as they did against Watford and then have complete collapse three or four days later, um, just went to show how fragile uh, the group was, you know, because normally you can build on a good performance, you can normally build on a win. But when you're 3-0 down after 15 minutes and, and um, you're just looking at them and, and they're a group of isolates, you know. So I think, um, you know, at the start of the season, we, we've got wonderful technical individuals. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, and wonderful technical individuals, when they're doing well, can look like a really good team. But obviously, when things start to go wrong, they become individuals, they become isolates. And you start to see the performances that you've seen throughout the second half of the season, where um, it, it's not about being a team. It's about individuals who are suddenly going into self-protection mode. There's fear um, right across the team and, and they look a shadow of the player that they were um, probably at the start of the season. So I think that night really highlighted that to me. Um, you know, we had to build a, a team spirit very quickly from from very little. Um, and, and, you know, you've got your frustrated people, you've got your Sam Fields of this world that, you know, if you had 11 Sam Fields, you'd never be in this position. Um, he's a wonderful character, um, gives everything for the shirt. Um, but there are others that were really, really struggling with the situation. And, um, you know, if we'd have had a chance, we, we, we might have taken him out of the firing line a little bit. But because of the injuries... Um, at times it, it almost picked itself um, and so you're, you're trying to do your best with what you've got hoping that I know Gaz has said about the cavalry coming back but you, you just wanted a little bit of pressure for places and, um, uh, and options off the bench to help us in, in games where you know we got to 60 minutes and all of a sudden run out of legs and you need to bring those, those players on to see you through the game which we've had that opportunity recently and um, I think if you look at the, the, the running stats for Burnley and uh, Stoke they're our two highest um, distance covered uh, out of all the games so far this season. So bringing those players back in and, and having the opportunity to bring fresh legs off the bench has helped us win those two games. Rob? Okay, again. Okay. Um, oh, what was I going to ask? So you mentioned the... Uh... The running stats out. Obviously, the last couple of games, we've really tweaked the style, gone super compact and essentially handed over possession of the ball. What um, I can't imagine that's the, the long term plan. Uh, but sort of so I remember I, I asked McBeal this question. What's your, your perfect goal? What's the best type of goal you'd like to see QPR score on Monday against Bristol City? Well, do you know, funnily enough, the goal that we scored against Stoke um, was everything that I've been trying to work on in training. So I actually spoke at half-time about the fact that we were trying to attack too quickly and we needed to take a couple of passes. You can still attack with, with momentum, but we were trying to do it in one pass and consequently giving the ball away and ended up defending a lot. So um, I said to him at half-time, you know, be a little bit more measured with your passing. We still need forward runs. We still need forward passes, but um, let's take a pass and work the ball up the pitch. And sure enough, um, I think um, Ken cushioned a header down to Illy. Um, Illy plays to, to Jamal. I think um, and, and 
Uh, Illy continues the forward run. It's a nice pass through to, to Illy again around the box, which is where you want him. Um, Kempau overlaps, which creates space for Illy to come inside and pass to Jamal. Uh, Jamal is a good footballer and, um, and needs to be able to, to get on the ball around the box, which is where he's strong. So he accepts the ball around the edge of the box, no panic. And we're starting to probe around the edge of the penalty area. And I like that patience. I like um, just keeping your, your opponents on the ropes around the edge of their box um, and, and playing with control. Uh, he shares a pass with Tim Irabunum. Tim uh, plays into to Linden. And again, a little movement that we, we talk about, um, a pull-off movement. Two yards of space is enough space in the box. Um, and Linden makes that movement and then works a shot. And obviously Albert's alert enough to, to put the rebound in. So um, in terms of what we're trying to build and what we want to do, we want them to be um, a little bit more aggressive in their passing. Um, I think my observations were when we first came in that we played our football far too deep. Um, it was all between the centre-halves and going back to Senny. And, um, you know, we really want to put pressure on our opponents back fours or, or, or back threes. Um, and we want to play the game around their box. Um, when I look back at it, you know, Norwich first half, we did that pretty well. Um, looked a far more threatening side. That's probably more utopia for, for my vision of the way I want to do it with this team. But obviously needs must. And um, where we'd been the counter-attacked for too many games, we decided to turn into the counter-attackers um, because, you know, Wigan didn't do a great deal to hurt us and beat us on the counter-attack. Uh, Birmingham did likewise. Coventry hits on the counter-attack. Um, so we decided just to soak up the space, um, deny them counter-attacking opportunities and become the counter-attackers ourselves. And um, fortunately, it's got us the results we needed. Sam, welcome to the podcast again. Far away. Um, well, I've got, I've got two little, two sort of uh, game questions about um, specific games and really crucial moments in the season. And so I, I'm just thinking back to that Norwich game because um, obviously we started really well and I, I think we scored a goal that was the pass and the touch and the finish of, of Premier League quality. And I, I thought, um, uh, respectfully, also looking at the remaining games, I thought Norwich were quite a weak side. You see the way they finished the season. That's mm. the side that, um, if I were a manager, I'd be looking at targeting points. And and then we, we conceded, obviously, after half-time. And the way the game panned out, I um, uh, I mean, I saw things like Senny taking a few seconds over a goal kick. And then the, the sort of communications from the club afterwards and was 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 saying this is a, it's a good point it's a result to build from and at the time I, I was speaking speaking to, to other fans after the game we were sort of thinking we, I was I was I was sort of in disagreement with that idea that it was it was a good point because I thought we're not going to pick up any points if we're not careful the next time we have an opportunity like that to pick up points will be in league one but it, it since transpired to, I mean I, I, I will say after that since that I, I was I was wrong, and, and it and it seems that from that point, we've gone we we've got a point, and we've gone straight into our next two games, difficult away games. I mean, Stoke have been good at times, have been less good at times, but and and we've 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 got two we've got two wins, and and to me, it really seems like that was just stopping the losing run and and giving the giving the belief they um giving the belief the players the players needed and um I, I was just um just wondering sort of what you thought about the the psychology of getting that point at Norwich and then and then getting a bit of belief into into going to the going to the next few games because um I I, I couldn't I couldn't comprehend that at the time as a fan and I just wanted to to 
to get your to get your take on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, if I'm honest, uh, it, it was a point that was um, that was needed just to run a, a, a difficult um, or to to stop the slide and, and a difficult set of results that we'd had previously. Um, I think the performance first half was definitely well worth building on. We struggled a little bit more in the game second half. I think um, Norwich decided to go a little bit more direct in bringing Ida on. Uh, and try to turn us a lot more. Um, so they played a lot more of the game in, in our half, where in the first half the game was played predominantly in, in their half. And because we were aggressive on our press, we kept nicking it and, and counter-attacking. Um, uh, if you remember in that game, I think we had a really good, two really good chances to score. Um, Tim one-on-one and uh, Luke Amos went through and, and hit it over the bar. And I think those two finishes were the difference between us coming away from that game with a win um, and probably people would have said it was deserved um, and it only being a draw. So I think, you know, the communication going out um, when you're trying to build confidence in the side is that, you know, that was a much better performance. Um, obviously, we, we always won three points and we should go into every game believing we can get three points. Um, otherwise, you know, we'd have never turned up at Burnley uh, the other day. So you always have to have that belief. But I think it's also positive, you know, a positive spin after a better performance um, following some some disappointing performances previously. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely I, I agree with that, and I think I'm also going to mention. I think um, uh, see, having seen some clips after, I think we were denied a bit of a bit of a stonewall penalty as well in that one. Um, on on Jamal Lowe, but and then sort of building on from Please that, send I mean, us off. Say nothing. <laughs> the, the mood, um, the mood on uh, it was it was me and not a lot of other people on the train up to Burnley, and and. The mood was so sort of uh, this is there's absolutely no way anything's going to happen here, and um, and and I, I was just I, I'm just wondering when you're going to a, a place where you where Burnley are expected to um, expected to win the league, they're all that all the Burnley fans are just just getting ready for it, and mm. it's it's possibly the best team the championships ever seen. How how can you um? Get the get the belief into the players that you can actually get a point there because uh, the way they played, the way they defended, and the way they celebrated both goals, I thought really showed quite a lot of determination. And I was just, I was wondering because if, if I'm if I'm a player in that situation, I don't think I, I'm I, I'm feeling like there, there's I, I'm almost feeling resigned to defeat from minute one. And and um, how, what 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 how how can you how can you sort of make them make them feel like they can they can they can get a result there because, um, yeah, just tough place to go. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, and you said something something quite apt there. You said, you know, if I was a player, I'd almost be resigned to defeat. And I think um, there's been a little bit too much of that over the course of the season. You know, I think as a as a club, we felt quite sorry for ourselves with the drop off. Um, you know, and I talk as much as a, as a fan as as uh, I do as a coach uh, in terms of. I think there's been a little bit from my life, a little bit too much of, of playing the victim. You know, what a hard season it's been. We're feeling sorry for ourselves. Nothing's gone for us. Look at the, the situation we're in. And we needed to change the mindset and change the mentality. So we had a meeting, I think it was after the Coventry game uh, now, maybe the Preston game. But we had a meeting and um, one of the things I spoke about in the meeting with the players was about changing our mindset from being the hunted to becoming the hunters. Um, you know, we were looking over our shoulder watching that bottom three creep up on us. And everybody kept looking and talking about relegation. And actually, we're in a mini league, which we're currently top of. And um, I said to the boys, instead of looking backwards, um, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you keep talking about relegation and looking at relegation, 
you're probably going to end up there. I said, but if you, if you start talking about can we become top of this mini league, can we finish above these three or four clubs that are above us at the moment, um, you start to become the hunted. And we needed a purpose going into the last six games of the season. Um, and at that stage, there was so much fear and worry about relegation that we needed to change the, the mentality a little bit and, um, and start making it a more positive mindset. So going into to Burnley, um, Gaz did a, a little bit of a presentation in the hotel about um, uh, Muhammad Ali and the, the rope-a-dope uh, fight. And, and he said, you're going to take a little bit of punishment today. But Muhammad Ali took the punishment and come out fighting. And, um, and you're going to have to do that. And I think the players were probably in a better mindset because they expected that it's going to be tough, but we still have a chance. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully that affected their, their mentality going into the game and the way that they played. Because even on 87 minutes when Chris, when Chris scored, uh, I still felt a belief that we might get the winner. Um, you know, we were attacking. Iliad had a couple of good chances. So um, it wasn't like we'd settled for a one-all draw and let's get back home. Um, I think they sensed that there, there was a, a chance there for them to win it. And um, obviously that then changes the whole mentality going in towards Stoke afterwards. The um, one thing I have to ask you, Richard, and it's, it'd be only fair to do this. I don't know if you do, you read social media. I don't know if you go on it or if it's good for your mental health um, to do such things. But I've never seen a manager attacked so much for his style of play that I, that I have with Gareth. Um, mm. And I'll be honest about that. You know, it, it's it's kind of shocked me a little bit because I'm sitting there thinking we've got to get away from this situation. We've got to stay up. Give them the preseason. Give them their own players. Give them a, a transfer window. Um, did you feel some of the criticism was harsh, or did you understand it because of the situation that we were in? Uh, I understand. Um, I understand criticism. Yeah, I, I, I get that, and um, and rightfully so. Um, I think some of the criticism is is harsh, and often it's done on emotion. Um, you know, I think you know we're getting pelters for the, the style of play, but um, I think some of the games that we'd lost, you know, I think Wigan, Birmingham maybe games before that, there's three or four games that we've lost where we actually outpossessed our opponents and played more passes in them. Um, and uh, you look at Coventry and I thought Coventry were quite direct against us. Um, you know, Birmingham, certainly. So, um, yeah, I think it's an easy, uh, easy stick to, to beat Gaz over the head with. Um, you know, we do want to get the ball forward more, uh, more than we have been. We did, we did feel that the club had played far too deep as I spoke about earlier, but um yeah, we've had Bayouac in Fenwa in our side, and um, when you've got a weapon like that at Wickham Wanderers, you use it. It's effective, and and um, so we used what we had there um, with different players. And, and once we've been up into the championship and the finances that that gave us in terms of bringing in better quality of player um, for the last two seasons at Wickham, we've changed the style a little bit, and um, the, the goals in open play have gone through the roof. And I think if you watch the show wheel of, of Wickham's goals over the course of this season, um, there's not many from long ball. There's a lot of um, with nice football, intricate football around the edge of the box because we had the players to do it. And um, we're trying to encourage the boys at Rangers to do the same thing. Um, you know, obviously needs must and, and uh, at Burnley and Stoke sitting deep and changing the style and becoming a counter-attacking side. You know, you're not going to dominate possession and, and certainly haven't done in those games. Um, but we want we want possession to be for a purpose not for the sake of it. And um, I think a lot of our football has been played against um, packed defence because we've been slow in our build-up. Um, teams get back in and it's hard to break down, as we've shown in, in recent games. It's very hard to, 
to to break down a pact and organise defence. So we need to cut people open a little bit quicker. I think we need to play on the counter-attack a little bit quicker. And we do have players that, that can do that. It's um, it's just giving them the belief and the confidence and seeing the triggers to do it and do it more effectively. Um, obviously, if we're in front in games, then we can we can dominate the ball a little bit better than we have done. Um, but as I said, we're, we're coming into a, a group with, that were really fragile. And, um, uh, you know, simple passes and that were going astray because... Um, you know, mentally they were they were not in a good place. They're far better than they, they've shown over the second half of the season. You know that, I know that. Um, and hopefully with a fresh start going into next season, we'll have a brighter side and a, a side with more optimism um, rather than the, the, the side that we've inherited uh, coming in. Good point. Um, Simon? So thinking about next season, and I think linking in with what Sam said about Burnley, I thought one of the one of the things which made us look a lot dangerous on that counter was when we brought Sinclair Armstrong on, and he made a real difference. And basically, the Burnley defence didn't have a clue what to do with him. How important? How important for you is it that we try and work with Sinclair to try and get him get him more consistently playing ninety minutes? And I think on another note. Is playing in that sort of counter-attacking style with real pace going forward? And do you have any, obviously you're not going to say the players, but do you have people in mind who can potentially play that for next season? Um, yes. Uh, firstly, uh, Sinclair is a wonderful talent for someone of 19 years of age. Obviously, still got a lot to, to learn and, and raw, but um, is willing to learn and, and we've <clears> just got to get him fit uh, and able to manage, you know, not just being able to play 90 minutes, but you know, maybe two or three 90 minutes over the course of a week, week in, week out. Um, so there's some work to be done there. But as a young lad coming in, and I think this is his first season in, in professional football, isn't it? So it's going to take a little bit of time and we, we might have to nurture him very, very carefully. Um, you know, I, I have a background in youth development. I spent 12 years working in youth development and I would still call myself a, a developer of people now, despite the fact I've worked at the winning end of football for, for another 12 years. So, um yeah, he, he's a project that um, I'm quite excited about. And um, as I say, that we need him to get a, a solid pre-season under his belt and um, be ready for the rigours of a, a full season in football. Um, we, we obviously have targets for the summer. Um, uh, we, we, we're hamstrung by the financial fair play rules that we're, we, we found ourselves um, under. But um, I've got to say, I'd, I'd much rather that we, we did it properly and um, respected them rules um, because... Uh, you only have to look at Reading who who haven't, and and that, that could really cost them. Um, you know, we might have to take a little bit of pain and accept a little bit of pain um, over the course of the, the coming months um, to have a brighter future. Um, but as, as I say, as, as somebody that that really cares about the club, I'm willing to put them hours in and the work in to to make that happen, so that we do come through it and out the other side with a brighter future, rather than it hitting us in the way that it has with some of the big clubs. And, and you look at Derby and. And obviously, we played against Sunderland for a number of years in League One. And um, you look at that and, you, you, you well, I mean, Sunderland were eating themselves from the inside out. You know, it become a toxic club in the dressing room, um, uh, in, the, in the stands. And if you went up to the stadium and light in League One and, and you held them at bay for 20 minutes, then you could hear the, the jeers and the boos ringing out. And um, from, from my perspective, you know, there's, I don't know, I'm, I'm very biased, but there's no greater stadium of energy than Loftus Road when that place is rocking. Um, you know, I, I told my kids about Loftus Road and you know, up until now, they've only ever known Wickham Wanderers because I've been there for, for 16 years. But um, fortunately, they came to the, the Watford game and they, they saw 
Loftus Road in its full voice. And, um, you know, I've got a daughter now that's wandering around singing a pig bag song. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's obviously had an effect. And I think when, when we're together like that, and um, you know, I go back even to when um, uh, Ollie was rebuilding in, in League One. And, um, you know, I, I think you'll probably remember the Oldham uh, playoff game and, yeah. and the noise there. You know, I think we need to go back to them days where it's us against the world and, and we're together. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I don't want us to play the victim. I don't want us to, to tear ourselves apart from within because we've had a, a tough season. We have done. We acknowledge that uh, there are rights that need to be uh, wrongs that need to be put right. Um, but but when we're together, it's a hell of a football club and um, and a real powerful place um, to play football. So, um, you know, my, I would implore everybody that's listening to this to to make um, Loftus Road that, that rocking stadium again and, uh, and we'll do our very best off the pitch to, to bring in players that, um, that fight for the shirt. Um, you know, I, I don't want to ever hear our fans singing you're not fit to wear the shirt again. I, I don't want to hear that and um, I totally understand why that's been said this season. But to give you a, a little bit of an insight, I spoke to the players in the first week um, that I came in and we spoke about culture. Um, and I spoke about um, Shell versus Seoul. So I said, there's a lot of clubs in the championship that are just shells. So on the outside, um, they've got wonderful stadiums, they've got wonderful training grounds, but it's the people within the club that create the soul of the club. And, um, you know, some of these clubs, they, they put players on big wages. They're just mercenaries, really. They don't really care about the club they're playing for. It's just another badge in their career. And um, consequently, you've got this really nice shell with no soul within it. And um, I said to the players, you know, when we move to this new training ground next year, we've got to have the right players to move into it with us because you're going to be the soul of this football club. It's nothing without the right people in the building. And um, it's really important for us that we bring players who, who bring the right soul, the right culture, the right mentality and fight for every minute that they're wearing that shirt. Because, as I said to the players, you're here to leave a legacy. Um, what you've what you've taken on and, and you've taken on that baton from um, players from years and years and years ago. You're, you're representing a history of a, a wonderful football club, uh, and we're all very proud of our little piece of, of West London. So, you know, when you take that baton on, you, you've got to represent it in the right manner. And you know, from our perspective, you leave a legacy whether you're here for a year or, or six months on loan, or whether you're you're here for ten years. You leave a legacy and you pass it on in a better place than, than you found it. Um, and that's what I want with our recruitment over the summer. Rob? I was going to say, um, uh, when you made Chris Martin captain, I think it raised a lot of eyebrows amongst the fans. But what was it exactly about him? Because obviously there's obviously something in him which is going to be a bit of a blueprint for, for the type of person you're looking at. I mean, what was it about Chris Martin that made you and Gareth decide that this is the guy to lead us out onto the pitch? Yeah, Chris is an intelligent lad. Um, probably hadn't been um, tarnished by the events before he'd, he'd come here. So, you know, there was an optimism and, and he, you know, he had something to prove coming into the club. Um, but he, he's bright and it's, it's interesting. I've had a, a conversation with a few of the boys about leadership, Chris being one of them, and um, the subtleties of leadership because uh, it's all very well banging your fists on your chest and, and shouting at people and whatever, but um, you've got to be far better as a leader, uh, and sometimes it's the subtle things that, that leave the biggest imprint on people. Um, and it's a real shame, and I think it's probably a sad indictment of football at, at championship level where management change so often, but they don't invest in people. They don't invest in teaching people these leadership qualities. 
um, because they probably think that they're doing it for someone else to inherit and, and to write, um, reap the benefits of it. Um, from my perspective, you know, I, I work with a long-term goal in mind. Um, but I want to be at Rangers for the rest of my career. You know, it's, it's probably not going to happen, but I have to have that mindset in the way that I develop the people within the club and within our care. And um, certainly with the likes of Chris and, and, and there's younger people, Fieldy, uh, once again, is a prime example of someone that we should be developing as a, a future leader of this club for years to come because, you know, it should revolve around people like him especially at his age, he's only 24, I think. So he's got years ahead of him, best years of his career ahead of him. Um, so developing those leaders and the subtleties of that leadership um, is at the forefront of my mind. And once you get a core group of leaders that, um, uh, that bestow the, the, the values of the club, then they become culture, culture guardians, culture creators and culture guardians. Um, and it will all snowball from them because they'll police those that come in, they'll set the standards. And rather than being a load, load of coaching staff cracking the whip, um, it starts to become a, a more unified um, attempt at, at galvanising a group of players and building a, a culture and uh, an, an environment that is is elite and um, and sets elite standards. That's interesting you say that because, you know, watching from the terraces or seats as they are these days, we always say terraces, but you get the idea. Um, it, it's been hard. There's no, there's no question about it. I mean, and the players hear everything. Let's be honest, and they, they, they hear the boos, they hear the criticism, and some of it's deserved, and some of it's not. But one thing I have said this season is that we've, we've seen to be, our on the belly seems to get battered a little bit, doesn't it? You need, we don't have that. We, we, we were going like goal down, or a team would have a shot early doors, and we're like, oh god, Christ, here we go again, or we can see early. <clears throat> That must have been really difficult to come into for you and Gareth to try and change that whole philosophy. Because it, we were panicking. I know people will say we had a cushion of relegation, but to me, the we have only we hadn't won since October at home, December away. You know, it was it was a mess. Let's be honest. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, soft was a word that kept coming about um, as I came to the club, and people, I have friends at other clubs, at Championship clubs, um, that come across QPR over the course of the season, and and everyone kept saying, "Oh, they're soft." You know, when you go there, oh, you're going to have to sort them out. They're soft. And I don't like that because, um, you know, soft, it means easy. Uh, and we wanted it to be a, a difficult team to beat. Um, we wanted Loftus Road to become a, a fortress. We, that's what we want. And, um, and that's what we're working towards. So, yeah, it was difficult to hear that. And, and as I say, as, as a fan, it's, it's always difficult to hear people talking about your club in that manner. Um, you don't want that to be the case. And as we build going forward, um, you know, I certainly don't think we're going to be a, a soft side going forward. Um, you know, the the, the, um, the key thing and one of the things I did on the, the presentation, I, I did a presentation to the, the players the first week and we spoke about, um, you know, representing the club in the right manner. And, and actually, I, just to, to, to tell you the story, you've obviously seen the, the hacker footage and um, uh, we've had a little bit of stick. Yeah, we had a little bit of stick about that, but actually it's part of a, a far wider um, set of conversations. So um, uh, on the presentation I did and I spoke about Shell versus Soul, we spoke about the um, the All Blacks. So we watched the All Blacks do the hacker. And um, many years ago, their version of the hacker was a little bit more like the Macarena. You know, it wasn't great. And uh, and subsequently, their rugby was, was fairly similar. And um, they stopped one day and kind of said, hang on a minute, what does this represent? This represents our history. It represents the way that we are as a, 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 um, a rugby team. Um, we need to do this properly because this will set the standards for everything that we do from here on in. 
So they formulated a, a new hacker, um, a, you know, a better version, uh, and they started to live the hacker. Um, and, and consequently, they've become the most successful sporting team in, in, um, in history. So, you know, I spoke about that with the boys and, you know, what does that mean in terms of QPR's history and, and um, what does it mean in terms of the standards that we want within our club going forward? If a hacker epitomises um, the All Blacks, what epitomises QPR? Um, I also showed them a 20-second video of Pavarotti and you'll think, what the hell does Pavarotti do, have to do with football? But it's more about um, performance. So uh, this video, it was only the last 20 seconds of him singing Nesson Dorma towards the end of his career. But there's, um, it focuses on his face and um, the intensity of his performance. Like every word, every note is absolutely nailing. And uh, he gets to the end of the performance, it finishes and he, he pulls his face as if to say, I've just absolutely nailed that song. And I said to the boys, he's sung this song at this stage thousands of times previously but he still sings this one like it's the very first time he's, he's, he's sung it. And they're the standards that we need to embed at QPR because every time you pull on that shirt, you can't just go, it's just another game or it's just another minute within a game. Every minute has to count. Every minute has to mean something. Um, so the hacker was, was part of, um, it's called uh, anchoring in psychology. Um, obviously we all have different modalities, different ways that we, we see the world. And um, for me, like, I'm highly visual. Uh, which is probably why I've gone into the job that I've, I've gone into. But for players, they're, they're often highly kinesthetic. So they learn by doing. So you can put a presentation on and stand in front of them, but it goes in one ear and out the other and it's forgotten pretty quickly. Um, so we decided to do the hacker. So that it, in, um, it anchored the, the story of a hacker. And I think, you know, when, when they're in their 70s and they're looking back in their career and uh, they talk about culture, they'll say, do you know what? I remember that meeting at, at QPR because we did the hacker. And so, yeah, we, we've got a little bit of stick for it, but actually it's um, it, it was part of a, a, a wider brief. And um, since then, we've had two two fellows from the army come in, uh, um, you know, very high up in the, in the army. And they've discussed teamship in, in the army and what that looks like. Obviously, their consequences are far greater than, than ours. Um, but, you know, very similar in terms of the way that mm. they, they produce their culture within the army and their team. Um, and we had um, Mark Prince come in, um, Kyan's father. He's and, good. Um, yeah, yeah, he, he was really good. And, and he spoke a lot from his boxing background. Uh, once again, very similar mould to the, the Pavarotti idea in terms of performance and what does it look like? What does a, a, an elite performer look like and feel like? So there's been a, a few things off the pitch, some of it which you, you haven't heard about up until now, um, that are just trying to, add another layer upon layer of, of the culture that we want to, to bring into the club. Sam, follow that. Um, well, I, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to ask the question that I think is probably, uh, might be the most, most obvious one that, that, that you'd, you'd have been expecting, but I, I think it, it probably does have to be asked because it's, it's probably the biggest narrative surrounding QPR at the moment um, in terms of the, the on the pitch matters. Not to, not to change the subject too much because I, I really enjoyed hearing about that. But um, I, there was a lot of talk when um, when Gaz was appointed about the style of play and, and, and about uh, about how, how he played at Wickham. Um, I think a, a lot of people form their judgment of Wickham based on the one season in the Championship, which I think is very unfair because that was that was a very uneven playing field that, that Wickham, mm. Wickham were on, essentially. But... Um, I mean, there were quotes that Gaz said earlier on about having the cutting your cloth accordingly, and and we sort of got the feeling that there'd be a tweak in the in the play style, and um, 
and 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 wondering if if we were if it was going to move away from this um this this um this really direct nature because QPR fans quite a, maybe maybe quite quite enjoy free flowing football a lot when you look at yeah. the seventies and and um and that's that's obviously not not quite happened now. I mean, I've, it's fantastic that the wins we've got, but that the, I mean the possession stats. Everyone everyone knows what's going on and 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 I'm I'm. I'm hearing a lot of sort of championship commentators saying um, it's a bit of a mismatch. It's a, it's a squad and a club built that's built over years on possession-based football, and we've we've changed a bit. And um, and and is 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 Ainsworth suited to the suited to the job as a result? And I'm I'm really inclined to say, well, there's there's a vision to to maybe to, to make some alterations. That's that was how we need that was the way we needed to play to get results and and to stay in this division, but. I suppose that's just me speculating. So I'd like to hear it from from you about about is how much how as much you can say about is there a vision to to alter the play style? Uh, look, absolutely. And, and as I said earlier, you know I, I'm a purist, and and if I could get us playing like Man City, then we absolutely would. You know, I, I go back to to the likes of Roy Wegerly and, and people like that um, playing in the number ten role. And um, you know, I, I love uh, expression. I, I love creativity. Um, I want our players to express themselves and God knows how many times in training I must have said to the, the players at the top end of the pitch, take the shackles off, you know, express yourselves. I want you to, to, to come alive in the final third of the pitch. So, um, so yeah, there, there is a, a vision and, and certainly as long as I'm, I'm working around it, we, we do want to be better um, in possession. Um, you know, I, I don't, I think sometimes we've been a little bit lost um, in terms of, uh, as I said, against Stoke, trying to attack a little bit too quickly to where we're encouraging them to, to, to cut through opponents and, and um, get their back four a little bit quicker than they have done. It's almost been taken too literally. And, um, you know, one pass is played, it's, it's, it's not a good pass and all of a sudden we're out of possession again. And, you know, the messages have been at half time in, in certain games, you know, just, just relax a little bit. We keep giving it away, stop giving it away. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to turn into Brazil suddenly and, and start playing total football out from the back. I think, our, um, our attacking play will be more purposeful, um, hopefully um, uh, more exciting. Um, as I said earlier, if you're playing passes across your back four with no purpose, I'm not sure um, where the benefit comes from. Uh, and certainly, you know, if I go back to the first game against uh, Blackburn, I thought first half we were quite incisive. We did quite well. The second half, we kind of reverted to type and kept giving the ball away in our half, playing far too deep and Blackburn were counter-attacking. You could hear the, the sort of jeers around the stadium every time we give it away. Um, so we want to play more football in the opposition's half. We want to apply more pressure around their box and we want our attacking players on the ball. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be smacking the ball from centre-half up to somebody's head and hoping for the best. Um, you know, hope for me isn't a strategy. Um, you know, I want us to be purposeful. I want us to be attack-minded and I, I think over time um, it will become more so. Um, but as I say, we do want to play the game in the opponent's half and apply pressure on their goal. Because if you don't get within thirty yards of their goal, you're never going to score. So um, that would be the purpose behind it. Yeah. Basically, what you said is next season we're going to play like Brazil with a bit of Man City and possibly um, the Real Madrid of the two thousands. Yeah, don't hold me to that, will you? Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but, yeah, there's, there's always a vision to work towards, and um, there's certainly things that we can take from those clubs that they do ever so well that, that we can add. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to change habits. Um, not always easy. Some of the habits are ingrained. Um, Losing and, it. Yeah. And the amount of times that we get into good areas and then 
turn around and pass backwards and end up going back to the halfway line. And we actually showed them showed them footage in one of the games where we got into a, a decent position on the edge of the opposition's box, a good crossing position. And um, we actually went back and three passes later, Senny Dieng had the ball on the edge of our box. And we kind of said, fellas, you've got an opportunity to put the ball in your opponent's box to apply pressure. And now all of a sudden our goalkeeper's kicking it from the edge of his box and we're hoping mm-hmm. that someone's going to flick it on. So, you know, there's, there's got to be a reason behind what we're doing it and a purpose behind um, what we're doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully over time and hopefully pretty quickly um, throughout pre-season next year, we can work on that and, um, uh, you know, just uh, tweak the style of play so that we're not quite so, um, uh, so reduced in our possession as we have been recently. Sam, you're going to say something then, mate? Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, um, uh, we can't, uh, unlike, unlike um, what, what Paul and, uh, and a lot of other people would dream of, we're not going to be playing like... Oh, stop it, after the dream. But, um, uh, but um, what, I, what I would like to see, and, I've, and from your time at Wickham, I, I'd, I'd be really hoping to see is, is getting attacking players playing with a real sort of freedom because... I um I went to I'm at university in Sheffield. I went to I went to Hillsborough early on in the season when you played when you played when Wickham played against Sheffield Wednesday and I must have been about ten minutes in. I think it was already one 0 to Sheffield Wednesday, but I was I was mm. right behind the goal and and um and Anis Mamati produced uh, abs. I mean, I was, I was genuinely blown away. A fantastic run and piece of skill and pulled it back and 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 and, and Wickham scored and. And um, and then I listened. I listened to an interview of Anis Mamati, and he, he he credited Gaz a lot, and um and I'm, I'm sure that means you as well in terms of his his development. And we've got some exciting players in that mould. Obviously, Mamati went to Bristol City. That would be a transfer that I think everyone would have liked to have happened if yeah if it if it lined up. But um, uh, uh, is there is there this sort of idea to to allow the to to get some 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 players in moulds or number tens because we've obviously got Elias Chair. Chris Willock, who knows if he's going to be around, but there's there's players in the club who can do that. And 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 uh, do you have a vision to 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 get these playing their their best football and and sort of how do you do that? Because uh, with mm-hmm. with Mamati, you did amazingly with him and a certain um Eberet Chiesa a few years ago as well. So um, yeah, he wasn't bad, him was he? I don't know what happened no, to he wasn't, him. But, but yeah. um, it is how how do you see this sort of flair player um, in, in terms of our attacking, our attacking build-up and our future in terms of match winners. and, and so Yeah, look, yeah, there's, there's got to be a place for Mavericks within the, the team. Um, we don't want to be so functional that we, we kill the Mavericks and the, the um, inventiveness within the team. And, and Anis is a, a prime example of someone who came in with a lot of flair, um, but needed to learn how to play within the team structure um, to flourish. So um, a lot of um, Anis's work was about the job he did off the ball and um, uh, we, we knew he had great expression. It was how he used it around the box, the areas that he did it in. When he mm. first came in, it was a little bit too often and, and in the wrong areas. So we just taught him um, a little bit more about where to dribble, when to dribble and, and uh, to be a little bit more unpredictable in, in what he did. Um, and, and he flourished. Um, one thing I would say about uh, Anis is that he was um, superbly motivated um, so as a coach, you can only help those that want to help themselves. And with him, he 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 saw um, Scott Twine get a move uh, into the championship last season, and he he, he said at the start of the season, I'm going to be that person this year. Um, so at half eight in the morning, as I'm walking through the door at Wickham, he's in the gym already, um, working hard. He, he built his physique up. Um, 
and you know, allied to his undoubted um, individual ability, he became a, a far greater team player. I mean, any winger that clocks up 12.5k every week um, is obviously doing something right for the team. So um, full credit to him um, and absolutely what we want to instill in our players as well. Uh, I think you'll probably have noticed Ilias um, doing a, a greater job for the team in recent weeks and, and particularly at Burnley. I think Chris Ramsey said to him in the dressing room afterwards, that's the most disciplined I've ever seen you play. Uh, and it was. And um, the conversation I had with Illy was, you still have your moments of brilliance. You still force the keeper into two saves, one of them which resulted in the corner that won us the game. You still have their moments in the game, but having a greater role within the game and, and not playing in, in fits and starts will make you a greater all-round player. Um, and I think an understanding that they are the maverick within a team structure is really important. We certainly don't want to stifle them, but we don't want them to be stuck out on the wing, touching the ball three or four times in a half and then not contributing for the rest of it. Um, you know, it's important that they understand their position within the team because there'll be the likes of um, Sam Fields and your, your real steady citizens in the team that will do a lot of their work for them um, to allow them for the, to have their moments. But they've also got to contribute themselves um, into the team structure. We'll do one more question each. Robert? Um, <clears throat> But we mentioned Sinclair Armstrong already. Who, which, uh, without putting too much pressure on them, which of the uh, youngsters that maybe we haven't seen yet excites you the most? I know Elijah Dixon Bonner's around the first team squad. Is there anyone we should uh, be excited for that feels really QPR? That's a good question. Um, you know, I enjoy going and watching the B team games. Uh, I've got to say, the B team boys, when they've come up and trained with us, um, have been lively, they've been good. Um, still lots to learn and I think the, the difficult thing is um, in, in the lower leagues it's probably easier to, to throw a youngster in um, it's a little bit more forgiving in the championship um, it's less forgiving and, and as a young player you know it can eat you up at times if you're not ready so um, you know as somebody that's developed a lot of players over the years going back to Matty Phillips who QPR fans will know quite well and uh, Jordan Ive and Kadeem Harris and people like that have gone into our careers at Premier League and, and Championship level. Um, the timing of putting them in is absolutely crucial. Uh, do it too soon and you can kill a career before it's even started. Um, there, there are good young players at, at QPR. Um, I'm quite looking forward to working with them in pre-season. You, you obviously, um, you, you don't want to throw them in, in a relegation battle, um, you know, in a side low in confidence. Um, that never does anybody any favours. But I think there will be players that emerge, um, one or two that we haven't seen a great deal of yet with the first team, but we have um, uh, ideas of getting them up and training with us throughout pre-season. And we'll see which ones um, really jump into the, the challenge. Um, you know, there will be opportunities for young players with us. We've always um, given young mm -hmm. players debuts. And I think uh, Kadeem was 16, um, Matt Phillips was 17. I think Jordan was 15 when he made his debut. So, you know, we're not scared to throw a young player in, but um, they've got to be at the level. It's, it's got to be earned. Um, it's, it's never a free ride just because you're, you're a particularly talented youngster. Um, and, and there's a fair bit of development that needs to go into that first and foremost um, before we see him in, in the first team shirt. Simon? I'm just interested, Richard, about what a typical Gareth Ainsworth and Richard Dobson pre-season is going to be like. Um, obviously, in the past, we've had things like Jerry Francis, Terra Tuesday in Holloway, running people up hills in Portugal in sort of like 40 degrees weather, that sort of thing. We've also had things like 
pre-seasons in Cornwall when Neil Warnock was there, which just happened to be near his house. What <laughs> is this? What is the situation with regard to a pre-season? What and have you thought about where you might potentially take us to some of the um, pre-season no games? Is nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, there, there are plans um, currently being put in place in, in pre-season, so we are, we are thinking ahead with that one. Um, you, you'll be surprised, much of pre-season will be done with a ball. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy. Um, we, we, I, I do a lot of work, um, to, particularly in the training sessions that I take, um, so I try and recreate the demands of the game as much as we possibly can. So uh, we do a lot of high-intensity work in short spells. So we'll do three, four or five minutes. Um, and it's a bit like playing three, four or five minutes in a game and then having a goal kick, you get your breather and then you go again. So um, it can be done with a ball. Most of it will be done with a ball. Um, you know, it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. We do need to increase the fitness levels. And, you know, one of the things that's been said to me since we've come in is that the intensity and in training that has gone up um, is still lesser than I would like it. And, and, you know, we were working at a higher intensity with the boys at, at Wickham, um, but that was because you know we've had longevity there, and that they were used to that work work rate. And, and the other thing is, obviously, with so many injuries, we couldn't afford to break anybody else through pushing them too hard in training. So it's been a balancing act. Um, and I think over the last five or six games, as I alluded to earlier, we're starting to see the the benefits of um, uh, increased intensity in training come out with increased distances in matches. So we're, we're getting there, but. Um, I think with a full pre-season under our belt and hopefully a, a fully fit squad, we'll start to see the um, the benefits of our, our training regime. And and as I say, we'll do as much as we possibly can with the ball because ultimately um, football's played with the ball. It's not athletics. No, you're not wrong there. Now, before we go to Sam for his last question, one thing I'd like to ask you that is frustrated me and I'm sure many a fan. We've always gone about it, bang on about it. How hard is it to find that striker? Because we hear, oh, you've got to spend £20 million, £10 million. I know championship clubs have got loads of money. But I'm looking at like some of the lads that you know, have scored 14 and 15. And you look at ours, even at the lad Yates at Blackpool's, I think they hit 15 or whatever. Can't, are the players out there, or is it just big bucks? And whoever spends the most will get the best striker? Because we, we've been struggling for years to find one. Where are they? Yeah, yeah. I think, unfortunately, you're right. Um, I remember um, Gareth saying to me back at Wickham maybe a, a year or two ago, um, we need a goal scorer. We need a goal scorer, you know, 20 goal a season striker. And we were only a few games away from the end of the season. I said, how many strikers in the football league do you think there are that have got 20 goals a season? And he wasn't sure. I said there were six. And at that point, there was only six that had achieved that. Two of them were in the championship. Uh, one of them, Armstrong, went for about 15 million. Um, two of them were in League One and way out of our price range at Wickham. And, and then two of them were in uh, League Two. And because they had scored 20 goals, one of them for the first time in his career, all of a sudden were asking for silly money because there was a, a whole range of suitors that, that wanted exactly the same thing as we did. So I think sometimes you've got to get lucky and, and maybe pick up somebody that hasn't scored as many goals that suddenly comes good. Um, obviously, the chances that your, your side creates um, is a big part of that. And we need to be creating... Um, better quality chances and higher quality chances for the boys that we have got. Um, but yeah, I, I work with the boys in, in training and, and Chris Martin, Jamal Lowe, they're, they're very good finishers. Um, they don't miss too often, um, but can you convert that training into, into games? And um, we haven't always done that. So yeah, I, I, it's a difficult one because they do cost money. Um, 
and uh, you know we're probably not going to be in the market for a 15 million pound centre forward so uh, we're going to have to either be very clever or, or hope that the boys that we've got through a little bit of work um, can come up with the goods Sam um, well I think maybe a nice way to sort of um, uh, to end, end the questions I think would be um, uh, Bristol City at home on um, on, on Monday um, I've, I've, I've booked but my trains are going to going to be there. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And obviously, we didn't really know what this game was going to be like. There was a chance it was going to be the most nervous 90 minutes of all time playing to stay in the division. But now now we've got our our leeway. We've got our um it it we we we've done it. And um and it's going to be hopefully a really good atmosphere. What I'm I'm just wondering. I'm always interested in the um in the in the psyche of the of management going into these games. What do you want to see from that? Because there'll be There'll be some fans saying, well, let's get a win, let's finish in style. There'll be some fans who say, Sinclair Armstrong, I'd love to see him get a goal. And, and some, some mm. maybe more like me, just saying, oh, please, please, just as long as Naki Wells doesn't score again against us, um, <laughs> uh, that's basically a success. Um, and um, I, was just, I was just wondering, what do you want from that game? Getting some game time into youngsters? What, what's, what's the way you're approaching that? Yeah, look, I'm I'm much like you. Um, you know, as the weeks have rolled on, I've looked at all the permutations, and I had a horrible vision of Anis Mametti scoring the goal that, that took us down. So uh, I'm glad that scenario is not going to play out. Um, I'll tell you exactly what I said to the players yesterday. Um, so we were in training yesterday, and I said to them before we started, be in uh, no uncertain terms that we're preparing this week to win a game of football at Loftus Road on on Monday. Um, this isn't a jolly up. It isn't job done. We owe it to the fans that um, uh, have come and, and supported us week in, week out over the course of the season. Um, you know, we haven't done well enough for them at Loftus Road over the course of the season. We want to finish um, with, with a win at Loftus Road and we want to send them all uh, home happy. Um, we're obviously on a, a little bit of a run um, in terms of form and we want, to, we want to maintain that because you don't want to go into the summer following a defeat. Uh, you want to go in following a win and, uh, and pick that up at the start of next season. So, um, I think the boys are in no uncertain terms that this isn't a job done, foot off the pedal, let's get ready for our holidays. Um, we want to finish with a with a flourish and we want Loftus Road rocking come five o'clock on Monday. Now, before we let you go, um, Richard, oh, and we've talked about you professionally, take all that off, put that to one side, put it in the wardrobe, lock it away. What does QPR mean to you as a QPR fan? Because... Oh. People, people come into the club and they say they're fans, and we know they're not. You know, we can say it's nice, but we know they're mm. not. What, what does it mean to you? Do you know? Uh, it's interesting because uh, having been away, and um, I think I said when I first joined the club in an interview that um, you know, my first job in coaching was at Brentford, and um, and all of a sudden QPR were the enemy. And I remember doing a, a match report for um, uh, for one of the Brentford managers on QPR while sat in the loft, thinking. This is just wrong. I, I shouldn't <laughs> be sat here doing this. Um, so you know, all of a sudden you're competing for the same players. You, you're competing on the same pitch against uh, against local rivals. And um, I had to sort of park that um, affinity for the club for a little while and um, put a professional head on. So you know, 16 years at, at Wickham, and, and that had become a club obviously very close to my heart. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, Rangers come calling, and the the heartstrings start pulling again. Um, and I got to say, I, I walked through the door. Uh, it was incredibly tough to leave Wickham because of the relationships I had with people. So, you know, there were a few tears shed, and, the, and one of the boys that was walking out of the door literally just buried his head on my shoulder and just went, "No, Dobbo, no." 
And, um, you know, and so I'm driving down the motorway. I've got red eyes coming to, into the QPR training ground thinking, what are they sort of going to think? Like, you know, um, red eyes and whatever. But I walk through the door and, and it just hits you again. You know, as a, as a kid, all I ever wanted to do was wear a QPR shirt. Um, and now all of a sudden you're pulling it on, you know, maybe not the hoops, it's, it's the training shirt, but the badge still, still means the same. And before the Blackburn game, I just wandered onto the centre of the pitch and looked at where I used to stand behind the goal before the, the terracing was um, taken up. And my seat up in P block, um, where I used to sit when I had a season ticket, and uh, it all comes flooding back. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, I got a bit emotional. Um, so, you know, my mum, she knows how much it means. She, she took me down ranges when I was a kid. Um, and, and now, as I say, I've, I've spoken about QPR to my kids and they never really realised. But, um, you know, I'm delighted that they're going to be there Monday and um, hopefully they'll, they'll get the bug and become QPR fans too. So it means a hell of a lot. I, you know, I, the thought of being the person that took QPR down was too much to bear. Um, there was no way in the world that we were ever going to let that happen. Um, and there's been long days since I've come in. There's been long days and staying overnight at the training ground. I live down on the south coast, so I'm you know, a couple of hours away. But there's been um, you know, stay overnights at the training ground and making sure the work was done to get to where we needed to get to. And thankfully, first part of the mission accomplished. And, and now let's go and build and, uh, and hopefully build a brighter future. Well, I'll tell you what, it'd, it'd be nice have, to have a good summer. Good pre-season fans. I don't know the next down balls, the next guy Bannister. No real pressure, really, is it? Really, you know, they're <laughs> hiding around the corner. But um, you know, it's been it's been good having you on, and thank you for being so open and honest. It was very highbrow at some stages as well. I was good. We don't normally have that in this podcast because if I'm hosting this, it's idiot friendly. So you've broken that wall quite well. But um, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, one thing I will say before we leave. Um, sorry, thank you, Robert. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, um, the big man that is called Simon as well, because he is massive, by the way. Just Richard, he, he really is. Yeah. Hasn't got a very loud voice. Is um, the 14th minute on Saturday? We're remembering Teddy, um, and I would like to dedicate this podcast to Teddy's memory. Um, no one should leave the surf at 14. No one. So on Saturday, everyone, just please clap for that young lad and his family because they are going through hell. And, you know, what QPR is, more importantly than any league position or anything, is a family. And we've lost one of our own, so please remember Teddy and Saturday and give 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 him a good round of applause because that family will need a lot of love and support. Right, yeah. Richard, yeah. thank you. Can, can I just echo, echo that, Paul? Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's greater things in life than football and, and it's really important that we maintain that perspective. Um, you know, I said previously, football is, is the most important of all the unimportant things. Uh, and you've just highlighted something that is is far more important than football. So, you know, best wishes to to his family, um, and we'll be thinking of him in the fourteenth minute. And um, I implore QPR fans to do the same. You know, we're we're a community, we're together, and, and we're strong together. So, um, yeah, let's make it happen. I think that's a good place to leave the podcast. Thank you very much, Richard and Sam, Robert and Simon. It's been a open all large production again, and. Um, Next week, we'll look back at the season, which will take about 30 seconds. Thanks, everyone, and see you all again. Bye.